HVAC 360 is brought to you today by the Tool Badger. Tired of your tools growing legs on the job site? Want to make sure that your stored materials don't pull a David Copperfield during the night? Well, it's time you get yourself the Tool Badger. Our Special Forces trained honey badgers have had a 100% success rate for the past 60 days that they've been in the field. Specially designed wristbands release a pheromone that deactivates these teeth tornadoes, turning them into docile little kitty cats. But once you leave, make sure you put back up your no trespassing tape, or you're likely to get a visit from an officer of the law. Keep your stuff yours with the Tool Badger. Rent one today. Welcome back. What's up? Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. Each week, I'm either sharing information from lessons learned in the field or talking with industry experts. But I don't stop there. I want to encourage you to double down on your weekly helping of HVAC knowledge by hopping on over to HVAC360.com and joining my growing community of people just like you. All right, so what's up for this week? This week, I wanted to continue sharing information about electrical, but I wanted to take it in a little different direction, namely controls power. Now, there's a little bit of difference when we talk about controls power, power, versus normal power. Uh, controls power typically is run, it, it's run by an electrician, uh, but it's run by an electrician that is under the temperature controls contractor. So you'll ha typically, ha you'll have your HVAC contractor, your electrical contractor, and underneath your um, HVAC contractor, typically you're going to have your temperature controls contractor. They will have a subcontractor that is also an electrician. Now you'll find some jobs when that is the same electrician as the primary electrician on the job, and sometimes it will be different. Uh, but there will be a specific person running that low voltage wiring, a specific contractor running that low voltage wiring for the temperature controls contractor. Typically, they're not turning a screw. You know that that's one of the things that they they do. Um, they'll have all the equip equipment together. They'll program it, but they rely on the electrician that is their subcontractor to kind of put it all together. Um, so. What are we dealing with here? There are what we have. Uh, we have line voltage controls. Um, those are typically, and we've talked about those before. Um, those are for standalone, simpler uh, devices, control devices. And there's really, you know, these are more prevalent in a place that lacks a building automation system. Um, but that's not what we're talking about here. So those are line voltage controls. We're talking about low voltage controls. And, you know, typically that's going to be a 24 volt. Now, I did some digging uh, similar to what I've, I've done in the past for the electrical to kind of figure out exactly, you know, where did this 24 volts come from? Um, and you know what? I really didn't. There's a couple of different things that combine uh, for it to make sense a little bit. So a couple of things like this. Typically, when we're, you know, we're transforming down from line voltage, that's 124 volts here in the US. Uh, so 124 volts, if you divide that by five, and you know that's, 
that's a ratio you can do with a transformer. So if you have you know one winding versus five windings, you can get the 120 volts down to 24 volts. So mathematically, it makes sense there. Uh, another thing that that really pops up is the fact that uh, a lot of times you're transforming to a 24 volt DC signal. Now, I guess when you're transforming the 120 volt AC down to a 24 volt AC. Um, that's different for than a 24 volt DC, and that's where things get a little bit, a little bit confusing. Uh, but if you look at most of the uh, standard car batteries that are out there, uh, those cars are operating at a 12 volt DC system. Now there are some larger trucks out there. You get a little bit uh, bigger. They're going to have two batteries, and so they're actually operating on a 24 volt DC system. Now, why 24 volts? 24 volts, I guess, is considered low enough to be considered safe. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause right here because, again, just like with the electrical, I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, these are things that I've been finding out. Uh, through my research, and I want to help you out on your journey uh, of learning. Uh, so I want you to take all, all this with a grain of salt and use it as a stepping point for your learning journey. Um, so um, I'm just telling you the best that I can, and I want to kind of start the conversation. So again, the 24 volts is considered low enough to be considered safe, um, and I'll use that in air quotes, safe. Uh, because, you know, really anything can be dangerous uh, in the wrong situations. So, but it's high enough to really do useful work uh, with currents that are practical. So you get that 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 uh, differentiation there. You don't want to be too low, but you want it to be high enough. You know, similar to what we were finding out with the electrical. You know, why, why did we have um, 60 hertz? 60 hertz was, you know, high enough to... Um, be useful for lighting, and then also low enough uh, for the um, for the for the motor loads. So it was a, a kind of a convenient middle ground. So um, the one thing too is that if you're using a um, you know like a like a 24 volt system, you could use a, a 24 volt DC battery. Um, you know, because those are used in cars, but you can use that standard battery, parallel a couple of them, and you'd get a 24-volt DC signal, um, and you could use that as a backup uh, for a UPS or an uninterruptible power system. So it allows for moderate amounts of electrical noise. So typically when you're dealing dealing with a voltage, you don't want it, when you get down to a, a lower voltage, um, there are things that cause noise, and the 24 volts allows this to be just kind of in the sweet spot. So it, it allows it for a little bit of electrical noise, um, but not too much, and it can really it can s still can stand out. All right, so what do we see in the field? Um, typically, we're going to see that um, the panel. So we're going to have the temperature controls panel, and typically we have that 120 volt power connection. Uh, make sure that you have 
Um, you know, when you're checking your, your drawings, make sure that you're having and coordinating that electrical power for your panel, uh, for your building automation system. Um, also, while you're at it, why don't you coordinate to make sure that you have the, the data drops so you can coordinate that with your um, data system to get that on the network very important things. You're going to have that power connection uh, and you're going to have, I guess, two things there. You're going to have a, a, a transformer, like a little internal transformer that um, in some of the panels is going to transform it from the AC to the 24 volt DC signal uh, and it's going to supply the different um, components of that temperature controls panel. Um, and you're also going to supply a, typically they have a 120 volt AC uh, plug adapter. So any anytime you need to do any sort of uh, maintenance, you can plug certain tools in there so you can get the power from the panel in and of itself. Um, what else are you going to use, uh, you know, outside of the temperature controls panel? Well, uh, typically there's going to be uh, transformers. Uh, there might, or, or I should say, should say, there may be transformers out in the space. Uh, transformers uh, could feed VAV boxes. So if you have VAV boxes that require power, uh, they might be linked to a common transformer. Um, and again, you know, your transformer is going to be limited by you know the number of devices it can serve. But again, that's that's where you want to coordinate your locations of your boxes with your electrician. Uh, or your electrical engineering uh, counterpart to make sure that their design is going to be adequate for what you're trying to do. Uh, you could also have transformers in VAV boxes. Um, you know, that's a lot of times if you have like electrical heat in a VAV box, you're going to have a transformer right in that box. You might even have uh, uh, more than just 120 volts going to that box, depending on the size of the toaster coil. Um, that you have in there. So I just wanted to kind of lay that out there. So those are some of the uses that you're going to have with your, uh, your AC power, um, different spots that it's going to go to. Just want to keep it simple. Um, now I guess there are a couple of different things. So where are some of the other um, voltages, all of these ranges. And, and one of the things I wanted to do, uh, not only talk about the 24 volts uh, for the power, uh, but I wanted to talk about the different ranges, the inputs and outputs that you're going to see. And a lot of these are analog values uh, that you're going to be using. And when you're talking controls, typically you're going to have digital values, so binary, one, zero, on, off, yes, no, that kind of thing. And then there's going to be a set of analog values. Uh, so that is going to be, you know, analog voltage, analog current, and that's going to say, that's going to give you a range. That's going to give you feedback. Anything that's going to change or vary is going to be an analog value. Uh, so typically what you'd use, you know, way back when, um, is you'd use, you'd have pneumatics. So pneumatics typically, and, and pneumatics, just to kind of give a give a flavor for where that was, pneumatics you would usually use that in a three to thirteen uh, psi range, uh, and and typically that was split up uh, between typical spring ranges. Uh, so they'd have like a three to eighteen spring range, they'd have a five to ten, and they'd have an eight to thirteen. And what that would do is depending on what um, control pressure 
pneumatic pressure that you sent out to the system, your uh, devices would react a certain way depending what their spring range was and what the pressure was. So it would vary. Um, and when you look at it, you have about a 10 psi spread, um, you know, from the top to the bottom. So that was, you know, a 10 psi spread. That was that was uh, that was pretty good. And that was what they would use. Um, and a lot of that kind of carried over when you're when we're talking about, um, you know, different things on the electrical side. Um, now, you know, they'd have they they could still have you know, um, a combination of electrical and pneumatics. They'd use these uh, EP transducers, and what that would do is that would take an electrical single signal and it would create a pneumatic um, reading. Uh, you know, pneumatics are great, I guess, in general. You typically see them in older systems. You typically see them in systems uh, like central plants. And the reason for that is you know for the especially for the central plants is because you're dealing with larger valves. You can do a lot more with air pressure than you can do with the um, uh, the small electrical voltages that you're using. Um, you know for for most things, uh, especially you know on the you know the typical sizing on the HVAC side, they they work great. Uh, but when you look at the larger valves, you really need a lot of torque. And what happens is you end up having to have a lot of um, actuators, uh, multiple actuators on a single valve to be able to turn it. Uh, so pneumatics was great in doing that, and they could they could handle that, um, you know, rather easily. Uh, obviously, there was downside with pneumatics with leaking and being able to you know trace the system. Um, so you know, there's pluses and minuses to everything. When you looked at analog voltages, now we're going to get into the kind of the control uh, controls aspect of the the electric side of it. Um, it's kind of split into two different categories that I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to kind of leave it simple here. Um, so you have the analog voltages, and you have the analog currents. Uh, now the analog voltages, whenever you talk, uh, whenever you hear about people talking about um, you know, 0 to 10 volts DC. That's, that's what uh, we're talking about. We're, that's an analog voltage. Um, and that's something that's, that's very typical. It's widely used, very common. Um, you can even, uh, they even come, you know, as far as like inputs go, you know, 0 to 1 volts DC, 0 to 5 volts DC. Um, or as far as outputs go, um, you see a lot of 2 to 10 volts DC. So that's all kind of based on that that's that zero to ten volt uh, analog voltage. Uh, so it is a very standard, widely used, very common. Um, the downsides is this: um, the motor uh, motors, relays, and other noisy power supplies can really introduce interference that degrades the signal. So when we're talking about um, you know the 24 volts being um, large enough to avoid some of these noises, uh, a lot of the simple 0 to 10 volt DC, which is implemented to kind of you know again echo that 10 psi spread on the pneumatic side, so it would match up real great um, with that. Uh, the downside was that if you used it for certain things like motors and relays or uh, uh, some other noisy power supplies, um, you could get a situation where the signal wasn't real great. Uh, so, and they were also susceptible to voltage drops over long, uh, long distances. 
Um, again, you realize, you know, when we talked about the difference between AC and DC in the power distribution system, you notice that the one downside to the DC system was the distance. It just couldn't, you'd have to have a, a generator station every mile uh, to be able to get it to, um, you know, the local houses, whereas an AC system could go much, much farther. Um, the same thing holds true when we're using voltage, uh, DC voltage on con on the control side. Um, it's you know it's very susceptible to long drops, so you're really not using it uh, a lot uh, for long cable runs. Uh, you're gonna be, it's, you're gonna find it problematic. Now I know there's 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 a lot of references in there um, because I when when I did some digging um, trying to find out you know the 0 to 10 volt DC. A lot of that is, is used in dimming and lighting controls. Um, so, and uh, the one thing that also that I found out is that uh, there is a separate power supply um, uh, to an instrument. So three wires are required. So uh, what that means is that you can control uh, with two wires, but you're going to have to have a separate uh, power feed to a device. Um, so that's going to add an, a little extra complexity to the system. Now, on the flip side, when we talk about analog current, this is where uh, you see the, the 4 to 20 milliamp uh, system. Uh, that's going to be either input or output, 4 to 20 milliamps. Um, and you notice that, you know, if you, you took it to, you know, 0 to 20 milliamp, you could know that, you know, if you talk about the 0 to 10 volt uh, DC, that was just, you know, you, you basically double the, the 4 to 20 milliamps. So the signals, they could scale together. So they could be, you know, the same thing. The one nice thing about the 4 to 20 milliamp is... Um, it doesn't really have the same problems with the noise um, because you're not using that voltage. You're not using um, the, uh, you don't get that interference uh, from motors, relays, and those noisy power supplies. Uh, another bonus is that you have a positive zero position. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, because we don't, we use the 4 to 20 milliamp, <coughs> excuse me, rather than a 0 to 20 milliamp, um, the four, when we're feeding it power at four milliamps, that is that equates to zero um, in a device. So if we don't get, um, you know, the zero, if we don't get four milliamps, if we're not detecting that, and we're getting zero milliamps, we know that there's something wrong with the system. Um, now, typically, you're going to be a little bit more costly um, uh, than. You know, I noticed there was a cost difference between the zero to zero to ten volt DC and the four to twenty milliamp kind of devices, uh, but that's really becoming more and more a non-issue as this uh, as four to twenty milliamps becomes cheaper. Uh, a lot of the uh, um, devices that you're going to be finding in a controls panel um, can do both the zero to ten volt DC or the four to twenty milliamp. Um, side. So there's a lot more complexity there, a lot more detail that you could really get into if you, you wanted to. But I just wanted to kind of, you know, overall, um, you know, just kind of cover that. One last thing about the 4 to 20 milliamp uh, analog current is that the uh, instrument can be loop powered. So 
often at the 24 volt DC, uh, which means it can be uh, supplied by the same cable that it transmits on. Again, you're, you're down to two wires. Um, so what you're doing is you're providing a voltage, um, which is giving you the, the power, um, but the milliamp signal is separate. Uh, so the milliamp is, you know, is, is actually transmitting the information, and you have voltage on that same line providing the power. So it's a little bit simple. Um, and any, you know, obviously, if you're if you're interested, you have more questions, you know, certainly give me a holler, let me know. But I just want to kind of go over some of those basic things with the the analog voltage, analog current, and a little bit about you know 24 volts, where did it come from? All right. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I hope it was helpful. If you know anybody who's looking for more information about this topic, consider passing it along. If you're not a subscriber, consider joining the growing community of people like you over at HVAC360.com. And I'd be greatly honored if you'd leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the um, find the podcast and spread the word. Uh, also, everybody knows, uh, or I want you to know that we're also on uh, YouTube. So each of these episodes is published on YouTube, uh, some of the newer ones. So if you can go over there and hit subscribe, I greatly appreciate that. Um, it really helps uh, getting getting you know just getting started, getting the minimal number of subscribers on YouTube really gets me into that next step. Um, and allows me to do some fun things on YouTube. Well, that's a wrap for this week and this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.